0: Well, good morning. Anybody excited to be in church this morning? Yeah. You guys accepted my challenge. You did incredible as they came up out of that water of just celebrating alongside of them. Whether you're here in person or checking us out online, like I said just a few minutes ago, we want you to know how incredibly excited we are that you're here with us as we land this plane this morning with our sixth and final part in a series that we've used to kick off our 2024 that we've been calling Ever Wonder Why. And if you're here for the very first time during this particular series, to get you up to speed over the course of these first five weeks, we've been leaning into some of the biggest questions and doubts that we have as it pertains to our faith. And we've been doing something that is rarely done within the local church, that we've been addressing those difficult questions and those doubts head on. Because this is what we believe We believe with all of our hearts that our questions and our doubts don't have to be a detractor to our faith. That if we became people and collectively we became a church that was willing to lean in to those difficult questions and ultimately be okay with the difficult answers that lied on the other side, then maybe just maybe those questions could become catalysts to our faith growing could become something that gave us a better understanding of who God is, how much God loves us, and how much God is for us. And so over the course of these last five weeks, we've taken a deep dive into some of our most difficult questions, questions that oftentimes have kept us at an arm's length from God, questions that oftentimes begin with why. Throughout these first five weeks, we've addressed the questions of why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does hell exist? Why does it feel like God doesn't answer my prayers sometimes? Why is a God who I can't really see and sometimes I don't feel, why is that a God who can be trusted? And then last week, why can't I stop? Why can't I stop doing the things I want to stop doing or know I should stop doing that I just keep coming back to these mistakes, these bad habits, this exact same sin in my life? And man, if you're sitting there and some of those questions resonate with your life, your story, man, I'd challenge you at some point over the next week, be it through our Facebook page or through our website on your commute to work or a workout that you're doing, to spend 30 minutes of your time and just to go back and to lean in to some of those difficult questions, believing that maybe with the difficult answers coming out the other side that you'll get a better understanding of who God is and how much God loves you. But today we land this plane not by taking it easy, by addressing another difficult question that maybe more than any of the other five resonate with each and every one of us. Regardless of where we find ourselves on this spectrum of a relationship with Jesus, being close to or far from, this question that every single one of us have had in our lives, especially as we traverse through the difficult seasons of life. The seasons in which things aren't going all way and we've hit a speed bump. The seasons of all life in which we're dealing with the diagnosis, the financial instability, the mistake that's been made. The things that have us questioning where God is. And the reason why this is such a difficult question for so many of us is because for many of us, we've had enough experience walking into a room like this, listening to a guy like me walk up on stage, or maybe we've even given it a try to pick up this book and to crack it open. And as we read or as we've listened to some guy speak in some church somewhere, there is this same truth that continues to be spoken as if it's obvious. And yet to us, there are moments of our lives in which it's certainly doesn't feel obvious. You see, we crack open God's word, this instruction manual, this love letter that he's written to you and I, not just for lives 2,000 years ago, but for your life and my life, your future and my future right here, right now in 2024. And we come across passages like this one that David writes of this truth in all lives that God is near, that God is with us, and yet there's this rub that exists. You see, here is what David writes in the Psalms, chapter 16, verse 8. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. You see, that's the truth that we've heard over and over again. That's the truth that maybe you've heard from my lips, spoken from this stage week in and week out, that we have a God who is with us, a God who is for us, a God who wants what's best for us. And yet the reality that we often experience in all lives is this, is that we don't feel God. It doesn't seem like we see God moving in all lives or in our circumstances. That doesn't feel accurate to my life. Am I right? It doesn't sound or feel like God is there with me in the midst of my circumstances, especially as we go through the valley seasons of life. There's this song that we frequently sing around here. It's called Highlands. And within one of the verse, there's a line that says this: "I would search and stop at nothing, but you're just not that hard to find." And there have been countless occasions where Krista and I, in the aftermath of singing that song, have looked at each other and have uttered this same phrase: "I don't know that I like that line. Because the reality is, is that doesn't always feel real in my life, in our family, in our circumstances. And maybe that's something that you can relate to as well. God, isn't that hard to find? Within my valley seasons of life, God certainly seems like he's pretty difficult to find. And yet we look around within this room, what we encounter time and time again what we see around us is it seems like other people are encountering God it seems like other people are experiencing his presence and so where did I go wrong what have I done wrong is it something with me or is it God is it that God is just far from me and not far from everybody else see the question that we encounter in our lives and in our faith journey time and time again is this why does God feel far and even if I were to experience the presence of God, how would I know? How would I know that God is near to me? How would I even know that God is with me? There's the moments of my life where I walk into a room like this and that tingly feeling comes over me and the goosebumps begin to rise up on my arms. I mean, that seems logical, right? Right? Except the truth of the matter is, is you've experienced those same goosebumps and that same tingly feeling when you sat next to a cute guy or a cute girl. Is it the moments of my life in which I walk into a place like this or I'm in my car and the emotions just begin to sweep over me? Is it the emotional feelings that tip off the presence of God? And that seems like it could be the case, except you got pretty emotional when you turned the rom-com on on Amazon Prime last night. Is it the moments of life where I experience this overwhelming peace, this undescribable peace? Seems like that could be right. Except you felt pretty peaceful when you ran that bubble bath the other night and turned on some Ed Sheeran. What is it? And the fact of the matter is, even if it was any of those things, the tingly feelings, the the goosebumps, the emotional moments of our lives, the feelings of peace, even if it was any of those things, the fact of the matter is, is that I'm walking through a season of life, Ben, where I don't feel any of that. I don't feel any of those feelings. And so how do I know that God is with me or if he's even there at all? And like I said earlier, We look around and the questions only seem to intensify when we see others who seem to be encountering God's presence. And we don't feel a whole lot like Psalm 16. What resonates a whole lot more in our story is just a few chapters later when the psalmist writes this in chapter 88. O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me are you even there are you even listening why does it feel like you're so far and yet there's this truth that my hope is brings you solace: is that if you've ever felt like that you're not alone you aren't the only one who struggled with that question you aren't the only one who struggled with feelings. Of being far from God. You see, even the same guy that wrote that first passage in Psalm 16 that we read, even David, who was nicknamed a man after God's own heart, when we read later as, as David is being pursued by his enemies, this is what David writes that seems as if it's in direct contrast to what we read there in chapter 16. God, why are you allowing my enemies to pursue me? Are you even listening? Are you even there? God, do you even still love me? We fast forward to when the Son of God put on flesh and walked onto the pages of history. And as Jesus himself was experiencing the excruciating pain of the cross, and the moment where he was taking on your sin and my sin, that would essentially caused separation from his heavenly father, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've felt it. The person beside you has felt it. The person you saw raising their hands during worship this morning has encountered seasons of their life where they have felt it as well. We have all been there. And yet the thought that rises in your mind is this. So then help me, Ben. Help me understand exactly what's going on here. Help me understand why it seems like God is far and why it feels like God has turned his back on me in the difficult seasons of life. And this morning, what I want to do is this. I want to walk us through three potential possibilities of why it feels like God is far, and walk us through them from the perspective of directly from God's word. This isn't Ben's opinion. This isn't made up. These are three potential possibilities of why in certain seasons of our life, or maybe for you, it's felt like this for the entirety of your life, that it feels like God is so hard to find sometimes. And what we've said throughout the first five weeks of this series, I want to challenge you to lean into again. That if we individually and collectively can be courageous enough to lean into the hard questions, but then also to lean into the difficult answers that lie on the other side of those difficult questions, we have the potential to come out the other side better with a better understanding of who God is and a better understanding of who we are in this story of our faith journey and of our world. And so why does God sometimes feel far? Why don't we always feel God? The first possibility is this. Maybe you're maybe we're oversensationalizing God's presence. Maybe you're over-sensationalizing God's presence. You see, I don't know about you, but here is this myth that exists inside of Ben Carver. You see, as I look at my God, there is this truth that, that is true, it is real, and yet this truth has the potential to lead me down the wrong path sometimes. This truth that I have a God who is big, A God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. That is who our God is. That's how big our God is. And yet within this truth, there is this belief, this myth that lies deep inside of me that if my God is so big, then everything God does should be big. And because of that, the only way for me to see God's presence is to see him in the really big stuff. I want the miracle, I want the sign. I want it to be obvious to me. And so with that, we demand that God show us in big ways his presence. And here's what's so incredible. That desire that lies deep inside of me, that belief that I have a big God and the only way God shows up is when he shows up in the big stuff is not something that is unique to 2024. Some 2,000 years ago, When God put on flesh and stepped onto the pages of history, humanity was capable of looking God in the eyes. And you know what humanity did when they looked God in the eyes? They said, we won't believe in you until you show us some proof. Until you show us some miraculous signs. John, one of Jesus' own disciples, as he was following Jesus around for three years, in a moment where they encountered the crowds... The crowds who could look the Son of God eye to eye. This is what they demanded of Jesus. We find it in John chapter 6, verse 30. They, meaning the crowd, answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? You all okay? You see, I don't know about you guys. I'll stick to speaking for myself in this moment. But oftentimes my life and my actions communicate that exact same question to God. What can you do for me? The only way I'll know you're there, the only way I'll feel your presence, is if you show up in a big way and do something miraculous for me. We expect the miraculous. And if it doesn't happen, then we conclude that God must not be there. He must not be in the middle of it. He must not be for me. We want to undeniably feel the presence of God. But can we just get brutally honest for a second with each other in conversation? Our feelings are not the only proof of God's presence. Our feelings are not the most accurate testament of God's presence. You see, if you always felt God, you would never need faith. If it was always as simple as just feeling God, you would never need faith. And furthermore, as we go the last 10% in this honesty discussion, what we should know about ourselves what we do know about ourselves when we look close enough and get honest enough is this is that we are broken, flawed and skewed people as humanity all of us are broken all of us have messy past all of us have sin and because of that you know what else is broken, flawed and skewed our feelings our emotions you knew this from the time you first encountered your three year old having a meltdown. As human beings, our feelings can't always be trusted as accurate. They don't give an accurate picture of the presence of God every single time because my feelings are flawed, because my feelings are skewed. And maybe in our lives and our constant search for God in the unbelievable big moments, we miss God in the undeniable small moments. That in our demand for God to show up in really big ways, we miss that God is constantly showing up in the really small ways of our lives. We've become so focused on over-sensationalizing God's presence and making it all about the miraculous and all about the big that we miss him consistently in the small, everyday life. Maybe we're oversensationalizing it. Or two, maybe our hearts have hardened. Maybe we, in the hustle of life, And the difficulties of life have become calloused to feeling, seeing God at work in all lives and in our circumstances. So there is this moment. Another one of Jesus' disciples, a guy by the name of Matthew, recorded this moment in history where Jesus, as he was speaking to the crowd and seeing the tendencies of the crowd, us as humanity, was reflected in the crowd Jesus began to go back to something that had been foretold about him some 700 years before he walked onto the pages of history. He began to foretell about what would happen amongst humanity, amongst the masses, as they encountered God in flesh. Something that wasn't just true in 30 AD, but something that rings true in my heart and in yours in 2024 AD. You see, this what jesus said in matthew chapter 13 when you hear what i say you will not understand when you see what i do you will not comprehend for the hearts of these people are hardened and you see for me this is typically how the heart hardening process goes As I walk through difficult seasons of life, circumstances that feel unfair to me, to my emotions, to my feelings, I have this tendency in those difficult seasons to slowly attach things to me. And maybe y'all can relate. As I walk through difficult seasons, oftentimes there's this sense of entitlement that I attach to myself. That, God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't right. Right? God, do you see all that I'm doing for you, all the work that I've tried to do? I deserve for you to come through. I deserve for you to provide in this way. There is this sense of entitlement that I stick to myself. There's a little bit of anger that comes with the difficult seasons. Y'all been there before? God, how could you? God, why do you allow bad things to happen to me? Does this seem loving to you, God? There's some bitterness that gets attached to me in the difficult seasons of life. Hang on, y'all. I was a man before I was a pastor. God, there are a lot of people who are doing far less for the kingdom than what I'm doing. There are a lot of people who on paper who have done a lot more wrong than I have. And yet when I look out into the world, it seems like they have a much easier life than I do. Why are there seasons where it feels like I'm getting all the crap and they get to skate free? It just doesn't make sense. I attach all of these things along the way, along with the skepticism that comes with it. God, are you really there? Are you really real? Are you really listening? And when I pair all of those things that I attach to myself in the difficult seasons... Along with the sin that's already attached to me, the mistakes that I make, ultimately, what begins to happen is this. All of those things that I've attached to myself slowly make me incapable of feeling God's presence. It's kind of like this. A few weeks ago, cross our fingers, we got what seems to be the only significant snow of our winter. And with that, on a Saturday afternoon, me and my two boys, I've got a kindergartner and a first grader, we decided to layer up and to head outside to play in the snow. If you've ever done that before with your kids, or maybe you've just simply gone out to shovel, or you've gone sledding, or tubing, or you've gone skiing in your life, what you recognize is there's always a very similar process that you go through in preparing for going out into the cold. And that process is what? You layer up, Right? It's like we get two pairs of socks on, we get the long johns on, then we put the sweatpants over that, then we get some jeans over that, then we put the snow pants or the bibs over that. We got the t-shirt, we got the long sleeve shirt, we got the sweatshirt, then we got the winter coat. We get the insulated gloves, we get the snow boots, we got the hat on, maybe y'all even put a scarf on. And in our preparation for the cold that we're about to experience, we put all of these layers on and what do the layers do? They keep us from feeling the cold. All of those layers keep us from that coldness hitting our skin. And the same is true in our lives as it pertains to the way in which we are capable of feeling God. That as we layer up with skepticism and entitlement, as we layer up with anger and bitterness, as we layer up with sin and the things that come on the back end of sin that Satan wants to use in our lives and our stories, like shame and guilt. But the more layers we put on, the less likely we become of being able to feel God, especially in the small, everyday ways that he's working in our lives and in our world. Is it possible that we've become callous to God's movement because in all lives we haven't been capable And I know, y'all, this this takes a certain degree of maturity in my life and my story as well to see all of those layers that we've put on and to acknowledge that if I want to feel God better, sometimes it requires me to shed some of those layers, to work through the steps of forgiveness, to let go of the bitterness and the anger To make some adjustments like we talked about last week. Starting on the inside, out in our lives. It allows us to shed some of those mistakes and some of that sin. To recognize the tactics of the enemy. And we have a God who's provided grace and love. So that we don't have to carry around shame and guilt anymore. And as we shed those layers in our lives, the calluses begin to break off. The hardened heart begins to be chiseled away in all lives so that we can begin to feel him better. Or if you're anything like me, maybe this is yours. For Ben Carver, it's so easy for me not to feel God because I get so focused on doing for God that I miss doing with God. there's a checklist of things for me to do for God. And I get so focused on doing those things and doing those things with excellence that I I miss that God has invited me not to do things for him, to do things with him. I don't want you to get ahead of me. I don't want you to fall behind me. I wanna walk arm in arm with you through this life, through the messes of this life, through the things that you want to do for the kingdom, through the purpose and the mission that you have in this life. Could it be that we've become calloused by all the things we've stuck on ourselves? Could it be that we're so busy and distracted by the chaos of our lives and our schedules that we have no margin to even feel God if He was working? Hello. Could it be we're so consumed with being entertained? 24-7, that we don't know what it's like to slow down, to take our focus off of being entertained every waking second, to focus on something different, something more powerful, something better. Maybe it's because we're over-sensationalizing it. Maybe because our, our hearts have become hardened. Or lastly, maybe it's simply because God wants to draw you closer. That in the moments of difficulties in our life, that God wants us to lean into him, to feel his presence, to feel his embrace, to understand that we have a God who isn't afraid of our messes, isn't afraid of our mistakes, isn't afraid of our shortcomings. A God who's inviting us to lean in when life gets messiest. There's this moment in the book of Acts. If you're not familiar, Acts is what happens right after Jesus beats death. He resurrects and sort of the local church is being launched for the very first time. They're trying to figure out how to do this whole following Jesus thing. And in their attempt, they're right smack dab in the middle of the book of Acts. There's this incredible revelation, this incredible passage that reveals something so good about the heart of our heavenly father. In Acts chapter 17, verse 27, it says this. His purpose, meaning God. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. His purpose, his desire was that sometimes we as humanity would choose to be the pursuer instead of always just being the pursued. That we would seek the presence of our Heavenly Father, that we would seek a relationship with the God of the universe who knows us best and still loves us most. You see, there is this reality that sometimes God doesn't shout he wants us to lean in to hear his whisper. If I shout, you don't have to get close to me. But if I whisper, it requires you to lean in. It requires you to want me. It requires you to want to be in my presence, to want to experience me. You see, I don't know if you've recognized this about your life or not, but I've certainly recognized it about mine, that fully experiencing anything happens best when we crave it and when we want to be there, right? I mean, think about the difference between your own family's holiday get-togethers and the in-law get-togethers, right? Right? When you've made up in your mind whether you want to be there or not be there, the experience is altered around that. And not my in-laws, y'all. I always love being there. I may or may not have in-laws in the crowd. You see, the reality is, is we determine, I want to be around my own family. I love the get-together. I love the discussion that happens there. But before we even walk through the front door, we've deemed that our in-laws, it's going to be a disaster, The same old crazy Aunt Susie is going to be there and talk about the same things. I'm going to have to listen to her grandpa, tell the same stories again, and this is going to be the most miserable three hours of my life. And guess what? It hasn't failed you yet. Because you've made up your mind about that experience before you even walk through the door. This is the way it works for, for me. I'll apologize on the front end to any of you soccer fans. This is the way it works for me, sitting down to watch a basketball game or sitting down to watch a soccer game. My experience is drastically altered based upon what I've made up in my mind before I even sit down, based upon my desire to be there. I can either sit down and watch action-packed, something that I understand and that I love for a couple of hours, or I can sit down and recognize for the next two hours all we're gonna see is three goals. That's it. I think I could find something better. Our experience is always altered by our desire to be there. And this is what happens when we walk into a place like this, and we've made up our mind before we ev- even walk in. And so we cross our arms the entire time, and we refuse to engage. Do you guys know why we do the music so loud, so that you can sing and nobody around you will hear you sing? Or me, so that you can engage without any fear, so that you can lean in in the moments, so that sometimes you can make a choice instead of complaining about the style that doesn't really resonate with me that I have a choice that I can step back and see that sometimes that style isn't about me. Everything in the kingdom isn't about me. And maybe this particular thing is about people who don't yet know Jesus. And because of that, it might not be my style, but I'm gonna lean in even when it's hard because I believe that God's at work in this trying to reach lost people and I'm not lost. Hello, I'm not passionate about that. That we make a choice, even when it's hard, that I'm going to lean in. And even if I can't sing, I'm going to focus on the truth behind the words on the screen. I'm going to recognize that God's at work and I'm going to give it my best and act like I want to be there. Because my experience is always dictated by my willingness to be there. How much do I crave it? How much do I want it? And furthermore, we have this tendency to withdraw in the difficult seasons of our lives, to push back against God's love or his presence. And yet I think what we fail to recognize is this, is that have you ever noticed how difficulty can actually create a spiritual desire in us? While on the other hand, things like ease and comfort and prosperity have more of a tendency to create a spiritual complacency? See, we have a God who's wanting us to lean in, to hear him, experience him, get close to him. A God who wants us to be the pursuers, to seek after him and to seek after him for the right reasons. For every single couple that I've ever married, We always walk through premarital sessions together. We don't spend a lot of time talking about sex, but in the little bit of time that we do spend talking about sex, my desire, my purpose in this is to set them up to be the most successful in year one of marriage that they can possibly be. Because I tell couples all the time, that'll be the most change you experience within your marriage is year one. That'll be the most difficult that it is. And so with that, as we talk about sex, we talk about the topic of initiating sex. And I give two pieces of advice. If you have young ones in the room, I guess you can put earmuffs on right now. To the guys, work on your approach. That The lady in your life, hey, come over here, isn't always going to be the best approach, right? The back rub shouldn't be the indicator that it's always going the same place. That sometimes we need to pursue for the right reasons, pursue in the right way. And for the ladies, the advice that I give them is sometimes you just need to have an approach because sometimes the man in your life wants to be pursued and not always be the pursuer. And while we laugh about those things and and acknowledge the reality of that within the relationships of our lives, sometimes we miss that our relationship with our heavenly father isn't that much different that we have a God who wants to be pursued sometimes and pursued in the right way because we want him. We want him for the right reasons. We want to experience his presence, not just in a statement of what can you do for me, but because we want to sit in the presence of our heavenly father. Those things, that pursuance, that signifies love. That signifies the desire for relationship. He wants to be sought. And when we choose to seek him, y'all, this is what he promises. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the promise that God makes us. When we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him every single time. And that reality underscores this truth, this hope that we can cling to in all lives when God feels far. That just because God feels distant, it doesn't mean that God is absent. Just because God feels distant in this moment, it doesn't mean that God is absent. What would happen in the moments where God feels far if instead of running away, we made the courageous choice to lean in? And I get it, y'all. There's still this question that rises to the surface. But Ben, will I ever see God work? in the unbelievable, in the powerful, in the undeniable? Will I ever see him show up and show off in really big ways? And here's what I can promise you, y'all. If you seek him with all of your heart, you will. How frequently? That is above my pay grade. I can't answer that. But what I can promise you is this is that when you and I choose to seek him with all of our hearts, when we choose to lean in, we will see God way more frequently in the ordinary, everyday moments of life. You'll see him in the small moments just when you need him in just the ways you need him. God is always true to his word. He always does what he has promised to do. And this is what he promises you and I. If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And when we seek him with all of our heart, this is when we find ourselves where David initially found himself. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. My God loves me for me. I can't always trust my feelings, my emotions. And just because he feels far, it doesn't mean that he is absent. That is who our God is. Yes, even in the difficult seasons of life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father this morning we come before you thanking you that you are a God who is always there a God who is always with us a God who wants what's best for us even when we don't feel it you're working even when we don't see it you're working. And yet so often for me, God, there's this expectation that if you're a big God, you show yourself in really big ways all the time. And I catch myself only looking for the big miraculous things. And sure, you work in that way in our world, but that isn't always how you work. Oftentimes, you work in the small, everyday moments, and I miss it because I'm looking for the big things. I miss it because I've attached entitlement and anger and bitterness and sin and shame and guilt to myself, and I become calloused to your hand moving in my life. And yet, this morning, no more. I let go of the myths, I let go of the lies. I let go of simply trusting my feelings, my emotions, and those alone. And I choose to trust. Maybe you're just calling me to lean in, to listen for your whisper, to see you in the small moments. Maybe you're calling me to shed some of that stuff that's hooked to me, that's blocking me, from feeling you. And when we do that, we trust that you're a God who keeps his promises. It's in your name that we pray. With all eyes still closed. And maybe you walked into this room and you've been a part of all six weeks of this series. And every single one of these weeks has resonated with a doubt, a question that you have. And yet each week there's been something that's been holding you back from taking a step towards Jesus or maybe you walked into this room this morning and this is the very thing that's kept you at an arm's length. Where is God when I can't feel him, when I can't see him? Why am I missing it? What is he doing? And now with these hard answers on the back end of leaning into hard questions, this is your moment of courage, a moment you take a step towards Jesus and say yes. You gave it all up for me that you're willing to walk with me through my messes and you proved that on the cross once and for all so today is your day this is your moment to say yes but how where do I even start saying yes to Jesus is as simple as praying this prayer in your own head and your own heart Heavenly Father, when I look at my life, it is far from perfect. I've kept you at an arm's length, thinking I could do it myself. I've had all these questions that need answered for me to take a step towards you. But today, I see you differently. Today, I see your love displayed on a cross, your love displayed in my life. Today, I'm choosing to say yes. I'm asking you into my life. I'm asking you into my mess. Today, I need you in your name that we pray.